0: Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
2: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome Welcome to the Roy Green Show podcast.
0: Well, COVID and um, vaccination passports are a reality, certainly in the province of Quebec. That started on the 1st of September. And the question is, and it's coming in Ontario and uh, Manitoba and British Columbia, Alberta's not quite sure where Alberta is on this. Other provinces will follow, and the federal government has already said under Mr. Trudeau that that's where they're headed. So, question is, is um, is the move toward vaccination passports could it be construed or defined under law as a violation of civil rights, as some are claiming? We'll start with the Montreal or the Quebec example. Julius Gray is a civil rights lawyer, one of the uh, most prominent in uh, in Quebec and in this country. He joins us on the Roy Green Show. Julius, thank you very much uh, for for the time. Let me start right at the beginning. is are these passports in any way shape or form any violation of civil rights? Well,
2: the passport itself is not. you can give somebody a certificate high school leaving certificate. all sorts of things. So just giving somebody um, an electronic passport is not a violation. The question is whether the uh, refusal of access to various places, work, school, etc., constitutes a violation. And I'm rather with Jack Wedwab's second group. I think it is a violation. It clearly is a uh, violation of life, liberty, security of the person. But I also think the charter contains its own um, clause of limitation and I think in these conditions, uh, the courts, if I were betting, the courts would save the uh, provisions subject to certain obvious limits. If somebody cannot be vaccinated because of health reasons, I think one would have to provide him with an alternative. Uh, if, uh, um, if they tried to apply it to, to such extreme things as going to emergency, I think that would not succeed because everybody has to have access to emergency. Uh, But merely not giving people access to restaurants or so on would probably be viewed as justified, both in the court of public opinion, which is, of course, what matters very much in our uh, type of society. Remember, the leaders of the political parties all say the same things because they all listen to the same polls, Um, and uh, uh, both in the, the, the court of public opinion and probably in the courts, subject to any particular case. That might lead to uh, an exception. I mean one of the, ob- the one of the few cases where people have won against the restrictions was when Quebec put in its curfew and the homeless won because there was nothing else for them to
0: do but only things like that. Are you expecting a legal challenge or has one already been issued?
2: I think there was one today which was uh, refused by a court yesterday. I don't know anything about it where it seems to be to have been outside Montreal. I suspect there will be a challenge. Uh, there's all sorts of uh, restrictions to challenge. It's expensive. It takes a few months. It may take longer than the rest of the pandemic, although now you know one's beginning to wonder how long it'll last. Uh, but I think there will be a challenge, and my bet would be that it will not succeed unless it's one of those very special cases which require a particular answer.
0: So there's a charter override available to the courts, and they would then exercise that, yes?
2: In every every charter right is subject to such reasonable limitations as are necessary in a free and democratic society. I suspect the people who don't want to have their, their access limited would come up with alternatives, saying, you know, there are three tests. Is it a laudable purpose? Of course it is. Uh, is there a connection between what the government's doing and controlling the epidemic? Yes, of course there is. The third one is it the minimum that can be done i can see somebody going to court and saying i'm willing to be tested once a week i'm going to wear a mask all the time Uh, i'm going to keep my distance is it still necessary Um, but except for those people i think who have a very particular say, health argument in favor uh, i think the courts would say uh, this is the type of case for which the limitation clause was intended.
0: Okay, so as of to the first of September, so in effect today, if I were in Montreal and wanted to go out and function in Quebec society, as I always have, would that uh, vaccine passport be necessary? Would I would I have to be, have that with me on, digitally or otherwise? Well, different things happen at different
2: times, and there's certain dates. But I was I went out uh, with my wife and a friend two, de- two nights ago. It was before it came into effect and they asked us for it to go to a restaurant. So yes, I think you'd find yourself in in, in all sorts of difficult situations
0: if you weren't able to uh, um, uh, display it. Okay, now does this then, and I know you've you've touched on this or you've spoken to this, but I want to come back to it. Does this push the unvaccinated Quebecers to the sidelines and does it coerce people to become vaccinated? Well, it certainly uh, constitutes a very strong incentive.
2: Uh, I mean, one of my uh, somebody who works for me decided to get vaccinated, even if she hadn't now because she likes to go to bars. And she doesn't want to be uh, kept out of bars. Uh, so uh, I think uh, it, it creates an incentive. But I'm not sure that that in itself is uh, illegal. Um, well, let me give you an example. There was a case which upheld an Alberta statute which required a photo on a driver's license. And a very devout Muslim woman said, I can't show my face And uh, the Supreme Court held that, notwithstanding that, the security considerations are sufficient. And I suppose that would have been an incentive to get photographed. I think she could have obtained some small accommodation, for instance, make sure that the photographer is a woman or some such thing. But uh, in the end, yes, it does create an incentive. uh, But, um, you know, courts don't function in a vacuum. And in a society in which the vast majority of people are scared of the virus and they want it, I think uh, relief would be limited, as I said, to very particular and very circumscribed cases where there was no other way.
0: And we call these segments at the intersection of health and politics, um, Ontario's decision on vaccination certificates. Also, there are protests outside hospitals in Canada. Our guests can speak to that, I'm sure. Dr. David Jacobs is the chair of the Ontario Specialists Association and president of the Ontario Association of Radiologists. Dr. Jacobs, thank you very much for coming on the program. On the issue of the, of the, uh, of the vaccine itself, would you please just remind everyone I hate to do this to you, but why is it a good idea? Why is it necessary? And why does it not necessarily follow that if people are vaccinated, uh, they shouldn't be worried about the unvaccinated because they are vaccinated, if that makes sense?
3: Well, the reality with regards to why you should get vaccinated uh, is because of your risk of getting a very serious case of COVID. Uh, when you look at the people who are in the ICU currently, uh, based on a percentage of population, the unvaccinated are 40 times, four zero, 40 times more likely to end up in the ICU than those who are vaccinated. So, uh, and once you've ended up in the ICU with COVID, uh, the outcomes are not always that good. In fact, you have a very high probability of having a poor long-term outcome or death.
0: And isn't it true that if you are not vaccinated and you do develop COVID and you then access the need, uh, a greater a greater uh, need for, or have a greater need to access healthcare in this country, you are interfering with delivery of healthcare to people who need it for other issues like cancer and heart disease, because they can't get into the units they need to get into.
3: So. This is something that I think people are getting more and more familiar with. But ICU beds are a very precious resource. And it's not an ICU bed is not just a bunch of equipment and a, a, an area in a hospital. The ICU beds are comprised of many, many highly trained doctors, nurses, and, ther- and respiratory therapists, as well as physiotherapists and pharmacists. So it's a a big human resource issue. So we do not have the ability to simply expand our ICUs with the snap of a finger. We don't even have the ability to expand our ICUs over the course of a year. We've already expanded them as much as we can on an emergency basis. And when those beds get filled up, uh, we are limited in some of the services we can provide that by definition require an ICU bed. So many surgeries require a bed in the ICU overnight. We can't perform those surgeries uh, if we don't have the room for the patients.
0: Which leads to this question. What is your reaction and your response to hospitals being subjected to large public protests?
3: Well, it, it, it is simply a line that was crossed, never been crossed, and I don't think any reasonable person should see this as an acceptable response so if somebody is misguided enough to be pushing back against a life-saving vaccine if that's your position uh you do have the right to protest you have the right to refuse an injection you have all of these rights but you do not have the right to intimidate physicians you do not have the right to disrupt uh, the delivery of care of others. You do not have the right to intimidate patients who are coming in for their uh, for their treatment. You don't have any of those rights. And if you choose to do that, uh, believe me, the public the public who is not very sympathetic to your cause in the first place. We'll
0: have zero sympathy for you in the future. Let me ask you a COVID health question. Israel appears to be encountering Delta variant infections climbing among the people who were the earliest to be vaccinated. So the Israelis who were vaccinated in the winter months of this year. And Israel is moving toward booster shots for anyone over 50 years of age. Is this what we're looking at in the maybe the near term starting to develop in this country?
3: Well, it depends on who you talk to. So if, you, if you're listening to Dr. Fauci, Dr. Fauci is saying, yes, you're going to get a, a booster and maybe another one after that. Uh, when you listen to Dr. Bogosh, who's also gone through the data, he's not as certain that we need to be going to uh, boosters right now, but he's, uh, his tone has changed a little bit, saying that we may in the near future. So it, it, it's not clear. What is clear is those among us who are vulnerable, so cancer patients, the immunosuppressed, uh, they're almost certainly going to need a third shot, and a lot of the elderly are almost certainly going to need a third shot. Uh, in the U.S., it's already started. People are getting third shots, and in Israel, it's, uh, third shots are being handed out. The one thing that I want you to remember, though, is that the level of the number of people who are vaccinated in the U.S., is quite variable from state to state and some of those states are very low and when we look at israel uh, they were a front runner but they've fallen behind so we're at about 67 percent fully vaccinated israel is about 63 percent fully vaccinated and that's going to make a difference as to whether we need a booster or not
0: okay now uh, let me just ask you something else this is where we uh, really get into this intersection of health and politics We see COVID case numbers and deaths daily. We've been seeing these for a year and a half. Am I being irresponsible or not thoughtful enough? Because I'd say I would also like to see the daily case counts of cancer deaths, cardiac deaths, suicides, and other major illness deaths because they're just as relevant to me as are the COVID numbers. Am I missing something?
3: No, you're missing nothing. A death is a death. Um, And uh, they're all tragic, uh, especially the ones that are preventable. Um, And you're, you're absolutely right. We have to acknowledge the fact that COVID is endemic to Canada now. It's not some foreign virus that we're hoping to snuff out and get rid of. It's here. It is not going anywhere. It will never go anywhere. So... We have two choices. We can vaccinate it uh, out um, or we can learn to live with it. And if the vaccines aren't proven to be uh, sufficient to vaccinate it out, then we'll need them as a tool to keep the damage from COVID to a minimum. But, you are you know, as I've said before on this show, I'm a big proponent of getting kids back to school because of the mental health implications. I'm a big proponent of Making sure that we have balance in our response to COVID-19, because right now we've seen just in the first run of this that we have a lot of people showing up with very late stage cancers, which are would have been treatable but aren't treatable anymore. We have had a lot of delayed surgeries, and we're just going to have to be able to better manage our resources because
0: COVID isn't going anywhere. Yeah, one more question for you: What's it like? being a doctor at this time
3: it's um it's an interesting time at the beginning it was um it was exciting uh there's a lot of excitement a lot of fear a lot of uncertainty and a lot of dread at this point there's a lot of frustration and a lot of fatigue i think that um we're all, we've all been working very hard for a very long time. Very few of us have had any real downtime. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of frustration with, you know, when you have people showing up in front of your hospitals protesting uh, and, sh- and shouting out what really is nonsense uh, and putting other people at risk. Everyone's getting frustrated and everyone's kind of reaching the end of their civility when it comes to this. Um, and that's that's sad and sorry truth. We will always be there for our patients, vaccinated, unvaccinated, whoever you are. We will always be there uh, in a very uh, professional capacity. And in a very sympathetic capacity, Uh, but having people shouting at uh, patients and doctors in front of hospitals, that can't happen anymore.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
0: Justin Trudeau continues to support liberal incumbent uh, in Kitchener, Ontario, even though Mr. Saini, as I said earlier, is alleged by several female staffers to have engaged in sexual misconduct toward them. Uh, Here's what Trudeau said. Play it.
2: I think Canadians know that we have always acted decisively on showing that we don't tolerate sexual misconduct or harassment. Not only that, we acted to put in place much stronger, more rigorous processes in Parliament, within our party, or within organizations across the country.
0: Michelle Rempel-Garner is a Conservative Member of Parliament for Nose Hill in Calgary. She uh, is uh, shadow minister in the uh, opposition of Mr. O'Toole. She joins us on the program. Michelle, I know you've been speaking about Mr. Trudeau's declaration. Here's what he had to say. You just heard what he had to say. You're not unfamiliar with that. What What's your take on what's going on here?
4: I, I just feel for the women who came forward in this situation because he basically just summarily dismissed their concerns, right? Um, uh, the, 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 the the original reports were actually published in the CBC and they were really serious. There's some serious allegations in there. Um, what concerns me is that you know for example Mr. Trudeau said that uh, he put in place processes to review these types of allegations. Well in that report the, these women said that they weren't even invited into the re- review process. Uh, at no point does he say he reviews uh, he believes these women. Um, that is Mr. Trudeau and at no point has he said that Mr. Saney would be you know subject to any type of potential ramifications and that's not the type of response that women need in order to create a workplace that is free from harassment. Um, So you know this is why Roy I've written to the um, the clerk of the House of Commons, the most senior officer in, in Parliament. And I've asked for a review of this process because if it worked, then why 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 is this happening right now? And I, I my, my strong suspicion is that it didn't. Um, I, I, I really think that uh, Mr. Trudeau um, should have at least called for uh, Mr. Saini to commit to citizen independent because we're past the point in time when he can be removed from the ballot, should he be reelected. And in my letter, I did express concerns about the safety, uh, potential safety of women on Parliament Hill, uh, should these allegations be proven to be true.
0: And uh, one of the the women, the, the staff member who went to the Human Rights Tribunal with her concerns, according to CBC News, Um, said that what happened to her contributed to mental health issues and that she attempted suicide last year in the MP's office. So that is extremely serious. Jody Wilson-Raybould, who you know well, and sat opposite the aisle, uh, at least until Ms. Wilson-Raybould was an independent member of parliament, tweeted, anyone who has responsibility to address this and does not is not fit to lead. Anyone who stands by and does nothing to com- is complicit. Anyone who is surprised has not been paying attention. And I went back and, you know, I went back and looked at the story of the National Post reporter who, in, uh, when Mr. Tudor was 27 years of age, said that he'd acted inappropriately toward her and then apologized a day later saying something that he wouldn't have behaved that way if he'd known she was a national media person. And then he mm-hmm. had the temerity, Michelle, as you know, to come forward and say, well, people experience things differently.
4: Yeah, Such I, um, outrage. I would just say this, um, silence covers the sins of powerful men. And I've been doing these types of interviews in my public service now for nearly a decade. And I really don't think much has changed. And I think that's because, um, there's one line in the art, the cbc article that really resonated me with me the, the women that came forward that said that they they felt they were scared for their careers and it's because all of the onus is on the victim not on the abuser and in, in our current system and when there's silence when when you know allegations are just brought, brushed under the the, the rug um, what that does is it emboldens perpetrators to continue this culture where this is okay. And it makes women go underground and, you know, suffer through this. So um, I absolutely understand why somebody would be uh, driven to to that type of, of state. Uh, because when you feel like there's no recourse and no justice and your income is dependent on your silence, you um, you know like this is that's the type of result and it is incumbent upon us who are in leadership positions to say no and it's why you know when there's been um issues within my own party i have come out and criticized my party because it's my i'm in a leadership position and i have to do that to affect change so you know i would just close with this if there's a liberal candidate listening to this show today shame on you for being silent where are you and where's your voice for these women
0: uh, and and to be fair to mr Saney, he says he's not behaved inappropriately Uh, But it's still incumbent on Mr. Trudeau to take appropriate action, and I would agree with you. He should have said, you will sit as an independent until we get to the bottom of this. That's the way it should have uh, gone forward. If I can just get uh, one comment from you quickly about how you see this election campaign developing, there have been quite a few surprises. Here we are, um, you know, in the first in the long uh, weekend, the Labor Day weekend, and uh, the polling is looking not so promising for Mr. Trudeau, but significantly better for your party and much better for— Uh, as far as popular personal popularity is concerned for Mr. Singh?
4: Well there's two weeks left approximately in this campaign and I know my party is focused on earning the support of Canadians with a strong plan uh, for economic recovery but I will say this like I've door knocked a lot and made a lot of calls over the last couple of weeks and uh, I'm just hearing people across political stripes say why are we having this election particularly in a time where you know we're seeing the a fourth wave of COVID, forest fires, Afghanistan, inflationary pressures. And I don't think that the Liberals have been able to answer that question beyond what the truth is, which is they wanted a majority government at all costs. Um, I would note that it, I think it was in the French leaders debate, uh, Trudeau was pressed on like, well, if you, would you have called this election if you were in a majority government? And he really stumbled on that. And I think it sort of speaks to motivation I also think the Liberals have really miscalculated in that they called this election, assuming that Canadians weren't paying attention in the summer. That that has not been my experience. The electorate is engaged. Um, it's good to see. And they're looking at the Liberals now and going, not this time. Um, you know, I know we have to earn support, um, but I'm proud, like we're running a positive campaign. We've got a good plan and uh, I'm hearing good okay. things from colleagues across the country.
0: There's a leaders debate Uh, a couple of nights ago in Quebec. There are more leaders debates coming up next week, English language, French language coming up. Maxime Bernier and the People's Party are not going to be part of them. So Mr. Bernier, before founding the People's Party of Canada, was elected. A little history lesson for you here. They were elected to a parliament in 2006 as a conservative party member, served as minister of industry and later as Canada's foreign minister. In August of 2018, he did form the People's Party of Canada. The party, and I've looked at the polling over the last numbers of days, polling in the four to 6% range nationally, ahead of the Greens. uh, But what's the rationale for the People's Party of Canada? No seats in parliament. And Mr. Bernier lost his own in Quebec City in 2019. A National Political Party, but why should Canadians consider voting for the People's Party of Canada? He's not invited to the uh, leaders' debates, but we've invited him to this program, as we did prior to the 2019 election. Mr. Bernier, how are you doing?
5: Yeah, it's great. Thank you for that invitation.
0: Yeah, it's good, it's good to talk to you again. Um, let me get right at this. How many candidates are you running across the country?
5: 312 candidates. It is more than the NDP, I think, the NDP, uh, not the NDP, sorry, the Green. They are at 240. So it, it's going well. And ni- We have a candidate in uh, 92% of the, the ridings across the country.
0: So you're going to hear it and you have heard it. You won no seats in 2019. You lost your own, which you had easily won as a Conservative candidate for years. Do you think there really is a realistic chance for the People's Party of Canada electing an MP on the 20th of September?
5: Absolutely. And I believe it will start by myself. Uh, it's uh, it's tied my riding right now, if you look at the public polls. And uh, I believe that I can win back that riding. But not only, I won't be alone. I believe that all across the country, we can have a couple of candidates that can be elected. Uh, so we'll see. But uh, we are growing and more and more people are coming. And I believe that uh, people are fed up with uh, the COVID hysteria. And they want to go back to their lives before COVID-19. And that would be an important question for this election. Actually, Justin Trudeau said when he, when he launched the election that he, he wanted to be judged on the way that he managed uh, the uh, COVID-19 crisis. And uh, I agree with him on that for sure. People will vote because they want to gain back their freedoms. <laughs>
0: Um, if you were participating in the debate, the upcoming two debates in French and in English, and I'd like to see you there because I know you would be very effective at it, what would you specific, specifically challenge the prime minister on? What would be the the first two or three points that you'd want to make?
5: Well, the first one would be, you know, he is the, the most divisive prime minister, prime minister in our history, and now he's saying that, you know, Uh, unvaccinated people are dangerous. Uh, They put their kids at risk. Uh, I don't agree with that. Uh, Actually, uh, we believe in freedom. We believe in freedom of choice. We're not uh, anti-vaccine. We're not anti-mask. Everybody must be able to decide if they want to have the vaccine or not. But when he's telling that to Canadians, he said that to Canadians because um, he said that uh, unvaccinated people can spread the virus. And he's right on that. But what he he doesn't say, is that uh, vaccinated people also, based on science, based on the last study, everybody can spread the virus while doing discrimination and segregation in the population. I'm going to tell them that my goal is to unite Canadians under the freedom umbrella.
0: So uh, under under you, there would be no vaccine passports?
5: Oh, absolutely. No vaccine passport, no mass mandate. Uh, the economy will be reopened. And uh, we actually look in, uh, in in Alberta right now, uh, 70% of the population uh, is uh, vaccinated and they opened the economy. Uh, in other countries, they did the same thing. People must be free to decide. Uh, I don't want to live in a society where I will have to show my papers. And actually, we have a vaccine passport now in Quebec. It's enforced. It will be enforced in Ontario. And we have vaccine uh, passport because of uh, Trudeau also. Mr. Trudeau said to provinces, "Is ready to give a billion dollars that we don't have to uh, give them the money to be able to implement a vaccine passport. It's going on, on against our Charter of Rights, against our freedom. It's divisive. Uh, we must stop that. We, we're not a communist society where you have to show your papers every time that you want to participate in the, in the civil society.
0: Mr. Bernier, you know uh, Julius Gray, do you not? Sorry? You know Mr. Julius Gray, the civil yeah, li- civil rights lawyer in Montreal, Julius yeah, Gray. Yeah, I
5: know him,
0: yeah. Uh, he was on my program uh, earlier today, and he talked about uh, the vaccine and the passports. And he said, yes, there's a, there's a concern that there could be a, a charter issue. But he said there's also charter override, and the courts would in fact rule with the government on this particular issue. We also talked to doctors, and I spoke with physicians uh, regularly uh, earlier today as well, who very much support the issue of the vaccine and point out that without vaccination, the ICUs, the hospitals of this country, are going to be straining at the, at the seams to take care of the needs of the unvaccinated when they when they contract COVID. Are those doctors wrong?
5: They have their point of view. There's other doctors that are saying that, that the opposite, you know, um, you know, the Burlington Declaration, three imminent doctors said in the beginning of that pandemic that we must protect the most uh, vulnerable people, and we didn't do that in Canada. Eighty percent of our deaths are coming from people uh, that were more than 80, 75 years old. Uh, we would just have to do that, and we open the economy. I understand that these doctors have a point of view. What I don't like is we cannot hear the other point of view. And there's other doctors across the country and globally that believe that that we can fight that virus, yes, by being vaccinated, but also there's other medication that can be used. I'm not a doctor. I won't speak about medication. I'm speaking about our rights. And our rights, we must have the right to go to a restaurant without having to show a paper. It's discrimination. You know, I won't be able to go on a plane after the election because I decided not to have the vaccine because I decided that I look at the data in Canada a man 58 years old, my chances of dying from COVID is 0.5%. I said the statistics are on my side. I have 99.5% chances of surviving. So it would be a huge discrimination against me, against me and other people. And during the, the uh, uh, civil rights crisis in the 1960s in the U.S., a black person was able to go on the bus, in the bus, but they, had, they told them or that person to sit at the back of the bus. Me, as a white man, I won't be able to be on the plane. That's discrimination. We must fight that. And that's why a lot of people are angry about Justin Trudeau. That's why they express that. And I okay. understand okay. their point of view. Right. They have the right to express their point of view. Okay.
0: Now, you say that doctors have a point of view. That's more than a point of view. I don't want to get caught up on this COVID, the whole segment with you on COVID. But it's more than a point of view. It's medical research. It is It is more than a point of view. And you talk about the Barrington Declaration. I've had Dr. Jay Bhattacharya on this program twice. It's not like we don't talk about the uh, the, the issues that are, are challenging. But it's more than a point of view, and you know that, Mr. Bernier. You know that it's more than a point of view. It's right.
5: based on science. Look at the science. Why forcing everybody to be vaccinated? Young people under 18 years old. We had 15 People yeah, but nobody's being 20, forced to be
0: vaccinated.
5: No, no. no listen to me. There's 15, 15 people under 20 years old that die with COVID, with other comorbidities in Canada. That's our statistic in Canada, coming from Statistics Canada, on 27,000 people who die from COVID. Younger people are more at risk to die for the seasonal few than COVID-19. So why trapping always to push that? It's immoral. It's immoral and unconstitutional and illegal also to force okay. people to take a vaccine if they don't All want right.
0: to. Let's get away from COVID. Talk about some other issues that, and your position in the party, your People's Party is, is position on them. Healthcare, just fundamental health care. What do you do about that?
5: Yeah, we, we are the only party that would fix that because health care is a, is a provincial jurisdiction. So we must respect the Constitution. And what we must do, the federal government, as you know, uh, spend $41 billion that they are giving to uh, provinces for health care. We won't do that. We won't give money to provinces for health care. We'll do better than that. We, the GST, the money that is going to the federal government, is $41 billion a year. We will give them the GST. So provinces will have the means to their responsibility. They will be able to raise money for health care. And now Canadians will know who to blame for a lack of services in health care. Now they don't know. Is it the federal government because the federal government is not, uh, is not giving enough money to provinces? Or is it the province because they don't know how to manage their health care system? Ottawa does not manage one hospital. So we must give them the way to raise money for health care. And like that, they will decide. The provincial government will decide if they want to put more money in health care or if they want to have maybe another kind of system where you'll have more competition, like in Sweden and other countries that are doing better than us because everybody has a universal coverage, but they can choose if they want to go to a private hospital or a public one. So let's put more competition in the system, but that won't come from uh, from us at the federal level. Provinces will have to do that, or they will put more money in the system again and again. So the solution is to respect the Constitution and give them all the money from the GST. So that's that's the best way to have uh, real changes. Uh, for for healthcare.
0: Okay, we have about five minutes. i so will ask you for some brief responses to these major issues that Canadians are concerned about. The economy and balancing the budget. What do yes, you recommend? So
5: balancing, yeah, balancing the budget, we won't do like O'Toole and Trudeau. Both of them are saying that the budget will balance itself. O'Tool said that it will balance the budget in 10 years without cuts. That's ridiculous. What we'll do, we'll be responsible. Our first mandate, we will cut all the promises that these political politicians are telling you today. We will cut all that during the campaign. We don't have money. We are, we are broke. We need to balance the budget in four years. And after that, we'll roll taxes. How are we going to do that? We'll cut the CBC $1.2 billion. We'll cut also corporate welfare. We can save 5 to $10 billion there. We will cut foreign aid. We can save $5 billion there but Canada will be there if there's a humanitarian crisis somewhere or an environmental disaster, but it is not our role to build roads in Africa and fight fight climate change in Africa. So we can balance the budget in four years and we'll do it.
0: What do you do about the energy sector? Because there are billions and billions and billions of dollars waiting to come into this country, into the economy, and fuel our social programs, but under the Trudeau government, the energy sector has been kneecapped.
5: Absolutely. First of all, uh, the ban on the, on the west coast on the uh, the uh, tankers the, what, tankers th- th- thank you our uh, tankers we will won't do that anymore we will build pipelines it will be easy to build pipelines in this country if the federal government uh, w- use constitution we have in our constitution a section ninety two ten and when you use that actually we used it more than one hundred times in consideration to build national infrastructure so when you use that clause in the constitution you are saying that this pipeline is for the <clears throat> the uh, interest the national interest of our country we can do that and will uh, will allow that i believe that in 2021 you can build pipelines that would be safe for the environment and safe for the population so we are saying yes to pipeline contrary to Tool and the other uh, the other uh, parties and also, we won't sign the Paris Accord. We won't impose a carbon tax. The environment is a, shared, is a shared jurisdiction with provinces. We'll let provinces deal with it if they want to deal with it. For us, we'll do more, more important concrete actions for the environment, like clear lakes and, and clear waters that we don't have in this country, in some places. So no carbon tax, no Paris Accord, yes to pipeline.
0: Indigenous issues, reconciliation
5: traditional politicians are telling you that uh, here in this country there's systemic racism. There's no systemic racism. Yes, some um, Canadians can be racist like in other countries. What the systemic racism that we have in this country is the Indian Act. The Indian Act is based on race. We must abolish that. We will abolish it. We'll have a new relationship with our First Nation based on property rights, based on respect. And actually, next Saturday, I'll be in Edmonton. I'll do a press conference with four of our candidates that are Métis and First Nation, and we will give more detail to our, policies for the, to our policy for the First Nation.
4: All right,
0: so you're in Western Canada now. What about the equalization formulas? That is a contentious issue, and if the economy struggles, you and I both know, it's going to become even more contentious. What about equalization?
5: Well, it is right now, I believe, and I know that there's a Western alienation People in Western Canada are fed up with the federal government and with Ottawa, and they want to have more autonomy in their province. We will do that because respecting the Constitution, you give more autonomy to every province. And actually in Alberta, Saskatchewan, they will be able to have their police force if they want, and all the other uh, jurisdiction uh, and power that Quebec has right now. More autonomy to provinces. And asking your question about the equalization, we are the only national party that will change the equalization formula, because that formula is not fair, to be less generous. Yes, I repeat, less generous, because since 1957, that formula uh, uh, has been started in 1957, and since, since that time, Quebec is a poor province and Quebec receives equalization money. I said 12 years ago that Mm -hmm. I'm not proud to be a Quebecer. I said that in French in Quebec when we receive equalization money. So if we are less generous, we'll give the right incentive to Quebec and Atlantic Canada to develop their own natural resources. There's a lot of gas there. So we have a solution for that.
0: Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts